Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Hello, Calm Parents. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. If you are worried with your teen may have an eating disorder, body dysmorphia, or poor body image, this episode is for you. I'm joined by Jillian Walsh, the founder, clinical director, Nova Scotia team lead at Change Creates Change Eating Disorder Care. Jillian is both a registered dietitian and a registered psychotherapist. For the past eight years, she has been helping children and adolescents living with eating disorders and supporting parents through their children's eating disorder recovery. Today, Jillian is going to tell us how to detect if our child has an eating disorder and how to model a positive body image and relationship with food for our teens. Welcome, Jillian. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Cam. I'm delighted to be here. This is such an important topic and a topic that just weighs heavily on on parents who don't know what, what to do or even what to look for. So let's start first. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got into focusing on eating disorders. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I started in eating disorders in about 2013. Was There was no intention of heading this way. It wasn't really top of mind, but I ended up getting introduced to eating disorders in my training. So that was when I started to dabble in it. And very quickly, I realized that I quite enjoyed working with this population, particularly in children and youth. And so I started to build my skill set in that. And I realized that I was able to connect with youth. Um, on a really cool level. So having lived experience myself, so I had an eating disorder growing up, that was quite, um, it was a foundation that really helped me understand what these folks were going through. And so it's very rare that I will actually say, hey, I can understand how that would feel. But in this case, I felt like I could understand how that felt because I had been there and I, I had gone through that time in my life where there was a really strong eating disorder brain. And so I felt like I could connect. I felt like I really got it. And because of that, I kept putting more and more time into it. And eventually I made it my career. So a few years ago, I made the jump from the public healthcare system to private healthcare. And I opened up my own center. So we have Change Creates Change, which is an eating disorder center, primarily for children and youth. And we work with emerging adults right up to about 25 years old. Wow. So we have a full team now. So we have a team of psychotherapists, we have a team of dietitians, and we're able to provide wraparound care in the outpatient setting. Um, and even starting to dabble in a little bit more of a day treatment model where we're spending a lot more time with folks, you know, Monday to Friday instead of uh, one or two hours a week. So really starting to expand the services we're able to offer. Oh, that's amazing. and so needed. Now you said something in there, you said eating disorder brain. And that, yeah. that caught my head. So tell us what that means. What is that? Yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about eating disorders, it's really tricky because the media has taken a, the concept of the eating disorder and sort of glamorized it. So when we think of what we see in the media, so in movies or on social media with regards to an eating disorder, most times what we see is something called anorexia. So mm -hmm. it's the real frail, underweight, malnourished state tends to be represented by white women or white females in the media. 
And that's just not exactly the way that it actually happens in real life. So of course, thin white women are absolutely affected by eating disorders, but so are males and so are transgendered folks. And so are um, colored folks and folks right across the lifespan. It's not just young Mm -hmm. folks. So there is an underrepresentation in the media. And so when I talk about the eating disorder brain, anybody that looks like anybody, it doesn't matter, like it's not just a white person um, or the white female, anybody can have an eating disorder brain. So an eating disorder starts as a mental health concern. It starts in the brain. And so it starts to bubble, you know, from either core beliefs, core values, it starts to impact thoughts, it starts to impact feelings. And then it bubbles to the surface as behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of eating disorder behaviors, we think of restriction or like not eating enough. So skipping meals, maybe eating less, maybe throwing lunch in the garbage at school. We also hear of purging, which might be vomiting. It could be over-exercising to get rid of food. And sometimes we hear of binge eating. So eating, you know, abnormally large amounts of food. So regardless of what sort of eating disorder it is, it starts as a mental health condition, but goes out into behaviors, which is what we see from the outside. And so those eating disorder behaviors is what leads to the physical health malnutrition. So we Mm -hmm. see it as somebody becoming quite malnourished, and that's when it gets really risky for the physical body. So it's a very unique disorder in the sense that it encompasses the brain, but it also brings the body into it. And so when we think of anxiety, depression, OCD, and some of those other mental health conditions, we don't see as strong of a physical health deterioration. Whereas with eating disorders, it's really too like dual pronged. So the eating disorder brain is caused by that physical malnutrition. And so when the body is malnourished, the brain doesn't have enough nutrition on board. And so we have this, this brain that works in a starving sense. Mm. And it doesn't have enough energy on board to function appropriately. And so the eating disorder brain is what tells us you're bad. Don't eat that. That's going to make you Mm. fat. People aren't going to love you if you're fat. People aren't going to accept you. You're not going to have friends if you eat that. Mm. You shouldn't do that because nobody else is doing it. And there's this voice, this eating disorder voice that really lives in the brain and controls everything that they do with related like related to food weight body shape and appearance and when we talk to clients about it that eating disorder brain can be on up to like 95 percent of the time wow so it's there's no break they don't get away from it it's just constantly you shouldn't eat that you shouldn't eat that oh you ate that you're bad you shouldn't have Mm -hmm. done that now we have to go get rid of it and it's just perpetual perpetual cycling and so when you're living with an eating disorder, that eating disorder brain is, is really always there. It's a staple. And that's what makes it so difficult to live with an eating disorder, but also to recover from an eating disorder. So tell us a little bit, because I think, first of all, what are some signs that our children may have an eating disorder? And I love that you clarified that this is not just, I mean, we do see it a lot in girls, but it's not just a girl issue. It's across the board, across all races and genders and everything. What are some signs to look for that there may be a serious problem going on? Absolutely. So 
Dr. Cam, there's a big piece around age here. So it used to be that the youngest, we'd see it as about 12. Now we're seeing it as young as like seven and eight and mm-hmm. nine. Wow. So we now want to really start looking for these signs younger. And so a big one is fear of being fat or fear of not looking like other people. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the, the ways, the red flags that we see, especially in young folks is, I don't want to get fat. So I'm not going to eat that. And they're starting to apply kind of like good and bad labels to food very, very young. And so that's one of the red flags. If we see folks, if we see kids avoiding certain types of food because it's unhealthy or it's bad or it's going to make them fat, those are red flags. Mm -hmm. That means, okay, there's some thought pattern there that they are associating moral value with the type of food they're eating. And that tends to be the seed that's planted with the eating disorder and then it snowballs from there. So any fear of becoming fat, fear of gaining weight is a, is a red flag. Um, skipping meals, throwing out, you know, lunches, not eating a nighttime snack, skipping breakfast can be a red flag. Um, feeling cold all the time. So for the younger, mm-hmm. or for the older teens, the older teens that are, have a little bit more autonomy and they're actually effectively avoiding food, the body will start to show physical signs. Mm-hmm. So we can see signs such as growth stunting. So not necessarily weight loss. Children and youth are never meant to weigh less than they did yesterday. Mm-hmm. So when you think of children and youth, they're supposed to grow, grow, grow right up until 19, 20 and beyond. Yeah. So if a 14, 15, 16 year old is weighing less today than they did yesterday, there's something up. Mm. Might not be an eating disorder. It could be failure to thrive. It could be a food allergy. There's lots of things that could lead to that. But it's become very normalized that folks aren't gaining weight in adolescence and that's not okay that's not normal yeah folks are meant to be growing children and youth are meant to be growing so if you're finding that your child hasn't grown in six months or a year or even two years that is a big red flag and should be grounds for further investigation by by a doctor those are the big ones like right from the Mm -hmm. get-go um a lot of the anxiety around food like the fear the fear Mm -hmm. of we always hear it's a fear of getting fat or a fear of gaining weight. So if there's, if they're, they can articulate that, that's a pretty big red flag. Um, if they're weighing themselves mm-hmm. and it's causing stress, I think, I, I don't think any child should have access to a scale, but most kids do. And yeah. so if they are weighing themselves and it's causing distress, that's, that's grounds for, you know, being curious about that, looking into that a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I think our society, we have, mm-hmm. we value thinness. And mm-hmm. so I think that message gets perpetuated seriously. And even parents I hear are always encouraging their kids to lose weight because they're worried about their weight. So I think this message gets perpetuated a lot. So to, I have two questions I really want to address. One is we suspect, or we know, our child has um, a poor relationship with food or is obsessed with their weight. What do we do? Absolutely. So there's, me- it's layered. The I know that's, layered. that's not a small question. I know. <laughs> that's not a small question. <laughs> How but does, yeah. Let's start. So let's kind of tease out the layers. We've yeah. got the healthcare layer 
which is the eating disorder professionals that should have a medical provider, whether or not it's a nurse practitioner or a physician on the team. Um, there should be a dietitian, there should be a therapist. So that is the professional layer. That's, that's mm -hmm. the real eating disorder help that most likely is going to be needed here. But then we have the layer that's closer to home. And then that's, that's going to be the nuclear family. So, and school, school plays a huge role. So we've got home, which is closest, we've got the school layer, then we've got the healthcare layer. So closest to home as parents, it's really to start thinking about how do we not do harm? Mm. How do we work with the child to reduce the fear of gaining weight and normalize that the body is meant to be changing? Trying to really lead by example that all foods can be nourishing, mm -hmm. all foods can fit. And are we able to uncouple health from weight? So can we talk about health without saying you have to be a certain size, that you have to look a certain way? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of unlearning because like you mentioned, it runs deep. There's a very strong undercurrent of diet culture within our world. So yeah. we've, we're all, we've all been susceptible to it. We've all been influenced by it. And so a lot of times parents have to unlearn first. And then they have to get their child and help with their child or help their child unlearn some of that diet mentality, some of that like good and bad or red foods, yellow foods, green foods. Like, I mean, this is what schools have been teaching. Yeah. And that's not okay because up to, you know, 10 to 15% of folks are susceptible to an eating disorder. Mm. So maybe not everybody they teach that to will end up with an eating disorder, but one in 10 may. Yeah. It's a lot. And so- that's a high number when we know there's another way to do it that is less harmful. Yeah. And that is teaching that all foods fit and that all foods can nourish the bodies. And there's no shame in eating all foods and starting to really normalize that. The other piece in the home environment is, is really to move away from diet talk, weight talk, you know, comparison mm. making, taking weight scales out of the home that is really things that can be done everywhere with or without an eating disorder in the home, but really starting to build that foundation of wellness without having a risk of an eating disorder. Yeah. What are, yeah, a lot. And what are some things to like kind of do not do? Like what are some of the things that we may attempt to do that really, cause I, I like what you said, you know, we're just trying not to do more harm while they're mm -hmm. getting help. So mm -hmm. what are some things that we really want to avoid doing that could cause harm? One of the biggest things as parents um, is to not diet themselves. Mm. So we see a lot of families that they get it. They get the eating disorder piece with the kid. They forget that it applies to themselves. Yeah. So they're all about getting their child help, getting their child to recover from an eating disorder and support them through that. But they're still dieting themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty mixed messaging. That's really mixed messaging for a child that's growing, that could be malnourished because they may be living with an eating disorder. And what that kind of says is you're, you have an eating disorder as a child and you need help, but I can do what you were doing and it's okay for me. Right. Because really dieting is the, the biggest precursor to eating disorders. Mm -hmm. 
And so skipping meals or restricting food intake or avoiding carbohydrates or refined sugar or dairy or whatever, right? There's all kinds of fads out there. It's when we try and treat the eating disorder in a silo, but all the diet culture still happens, that's really tricky. So I encourage parents to really let go of dieting, um, to actually remove diet products from the home. So no diet sodas, no light sour cream, no light salad dressing, um, no artificial sweetener, because what's that saying? That's really saying that these foods aren't meant to taste the way they were made to be, like Mm -hmm. the way they naturally occur. So we now chemically alter them so that they are less in the body, so that they provide less nourishment and less nutrition. When you say it that way, it really doesn't make sense, right? (laughs) Right? Like, why are we chemically altering sour cream, for example, to provide less energy, if that's the way it was meant to, to exist. And so we really do discourage like, having those diet products in the home, we usually encourage folks to do a full kitchen overhaul and go through and say, okay, how has diet culture implemented or impacted our home? Mm. is there diet products in in the fridge in the cupboards is there diet pills in the medicine cabinet Mm -hmm. is there a weight scale in the bathroom are we pushing ourselves to exercise when we actually don't want to and so a lot of times these behaviors that are actually risk factors for eating disorders are really normalized in society and so it's the unlearning piece Can we go through and not do those things in order to best support the children in our home? So Jillian, as you're describing this, I I mean, I'm processing in my head going, but so many of these things are exactly what we've been taught to do to be healthy Mm -hmm. and to teach our kids to be healthy. So, so much of what you're saying makes sense. It's also very counter to pretty much everything we've learned. So how do we address the need to be healthy without impacting their sense of like diet and how do we create a healthy relationship with food? Let me just put that. How do we do that? No. And and that's exactly it, Dr. Kim. And it's nuanced. It's not easy, right? Because as a society, we've been taught some stuff that doesn't make sense anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's kind of been misproven. But when we think about food, you know, in the past few decades, there's been a lot of commercialization of food, there's been a lot of advertising, if you go into any grocery store, you can see how much money is put into advertising and marketing, right. And so there's a lot of money being made on these diet products, on these altered foods. So we have to think about that we have to think about why is it that the loudest message is about the diet product Mm -hmm. is about being quote unquote healthy. And I mean, as myself, I'm an entrepreneur now I have a private center. I can see how that message is loudest because they have the most money. And with all of that power behind marketing, we can make anything sound right. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of these companies that do benefit and profit off the dieting industry are loud because they've got the money to. And so the dieting industry is like a billion dollar industry, if not more. And 95% of diets fail. So these people are always coming back. It's like a revolving door. Mm -hmm. So the money just keeps coming. And so that's most likely why you've heard it. That's most likely why it's so ingrained. Because 
most of us have watched TV. Most of us shop at the grocery store. Most of us listen to the radio and we pick up on trends with our peers and it's entrenched. It runs really, really deep. So when we say like, how do we build a, a positive relationship with food? And, and you'll notice I avoid the words healthy and unhealthy. Mm. So the words healthy and unhealthy, just as an aside, for me, they've been co-opted by diet culture. Interesting. Hmm. So I don't use those words because again, it gives us this moral value. It gives us, well, healthy is good and unhealthy is bad. So instead I say, okay, what does our bodies need to be well? Hmm. Well, scientifically, we know that our body needs fluid. Doesn't always have to be water. You know, it can be milk. It can be juice. It can be coffee. It can be all kinds of things. All fluids are actually hydrating. Now, diet culture will tell you, don't drink your calories, right? Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, my gosh, there's a whole lot of diet products out there that are zero calorie. It might cost you $4, you know, there's money being made off of those zero calorie beverages. So it's challenging every single step of the way. Well, why do I do that? Why do I buy skim milk? Is it because I grew up with it? Is it because I feel like it's less calories? Do I like the taste of it? And challenge that and start to maybe rewrite some of your learning, rewrite that script in your household. And for me, I did have skim milk for a while, like for years. And finally, I was like, I don't even like this. This tastes like watered down milk. Like, why do I do this? And so I even had to relearn myself like, Mm. oh, wait, I can do I'm in control of my groceries now. I can go buy I can buy whole milk. I can buy whatever kind of milk I want. And so it's having the freedom to do that it's giving yourself that permission to make choices for you and not making choices for the social norm or for the social expectations and as parents we've got to model this Mm. because if we're not modeling it it's going to feel so inauthentic and we hear it I hear it from the clients like I hear it from the kids because we work primarily with youth they're like yeah mom's really not doing what she's saying she's doing and I'm like, oh, okay, do we know it? And, and so you're picking up on that, hey? And they're like, yeah, she's just full of it. Like, she says she gets it, but I still see her counting her Weight Watchers points over here. And yeah. I'm like, oh, so you do see it. Even though yeah. they're 12, they're 13, they're 14, they see through the facade. Yeah. And so, again, that's, that's mixed messaging. So as much as we want to help the kids, we really got to start with ourselves as parents. And it's not easy. It is not oh, easy. it's not because I mean, we're just pounded with thin, 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 thin. And what's interesting to me is you're saying like all these locale things, we see locale as being like better for you, but yet you look at the content and most of the time they, they replace what is actually natural with these unnatural chemicals that are actually worse for you. So we're not treating our body well, we're just, we're so focused on locale being thin. And so part of this story that we need to change too, is what does visually, what does healthy look like? And like my daughter and I watch project runway. We love those things. And I love now because in the past several years, they've had all shapes and sizes. They've had all genders. And so just that seeing how we as a society are defining what beautiful is and what healthy looks like. And that's a slow process, but we've just, we've been told these 
messages that are lies and we believe them and we're passing those on to our kids and it's not healthy to be like that. And so we're trying to create something that's not naturally who we are. Mm -hmm. So I think that I'm just like, right. Um, That's a big, a big thing. And so our kids are trying to fit into these expectations. And that is key. What you just said about fitting in, it's conforming. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I remember, I remember the stress of not fitting in. I remember like that was, that was hard as well. And so a lot of what we focus on now is who are you as an individual, as an authentic person? Like, who are you? Do you actually want to drink skim milk? Maybe you do. And if you do, you do you. Because if that's authentically who you are, you do you. But truly at the core, is that who you are? Yeah. And we do a lot of identity stuff, like identity work of Mm -hmm. who are you? You know, do you value that because your family unit values that? Do you value that because your peer group at school values that? Um. Are you within a system, you know, whether or not it's sports or recreation, whatever sort of groups they're in, are they conforming to those around them? And there's a lot of that happening. There's a lot of conforming. And even just this thinness, thinness, being thin is conforming to societal standards. Yeah. A lot of bodies aren't meant to be thin. Genetically, they're not meant to be thin. And so we're creating havoc within this person, within their body, within their brain just to conform. Yeah. And that will never feel okay because it's not authentically who they're, who they are. It will always feel incongruent and that will pop up in many different ways. Sometimes it pops up as an eating disorder. Sometimes it's substance use, sometimes it's anxiety, depression, but it's not benign. And so it pops up in some way. And for us over here, we see it when it pops up as an eating disorder but it can pop up in it in a myriad of ways. It can. And I think, you know, this other thing that's like going through my head as you're talking is this whole idea of, you know, a lot of parents for so, and I hear this across a lot of things, not just weight, but it's like, they're trying to protect their kids from being bullied. And they're like, if my child's overweight, they're going to be bullied. And I'm thinking what we need to change is the fact that it's not the kid's weight that needs to change. It's the fact that why are we bullying because of weight? What is the mindset that we're teaching kids where they see that it's okay to bully and that weight is something to bully about? That's what needs changed, not our kids being thinner. And I think that's a really big, like, that's, that's a big change. So it's helping Huge. our kids be comfortable and confident in who they are and give them the foundation that who they are is okay despite what other people may say because Mm -hmm. they're saying it from a place of you know of this false belief that they've learned absolutely and dr cam the biggest piece here is sizeism right so sizeism is the last ism that's socially acceptable so racism is is still right it I is. know. But think about all the other ones. Sexism, ageism, ableism, racism. None of those are socially acceptable. We've done a really good job of overcoming that hurdle. But yet sizeism still exists and is socially accepted. Because so- people have attributed traits to people that are not small as mm-hmm. being someone that's lazy or not like 
we've attributed certain characteristics to those people that says you have, you could make a choice and you're choosing this. And I think that's one of the reasons. And Dr. Cam, as you say that, doesn't that sound familiar to homophobia? Uh, Yeah. 20, 30 years ago. That was a choice. Transgender. Yeah. Yeah. So it's coming. I think it's coming. I think the world is shifting to start to realize that, okay, yeah, no, being a different size doesn't make us any less of a human and less worthy, but it is the last one for us to kind of beat out of the, out of the undercurrent, right? Like it, we're fighting it, we're fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. And it's resisting. The world is resisting. Oh, it is. But we've done it before. You know, we've done it with racism. We've done it with sexism. We've done it with ageism. Can we do it with sizeism? I hope so. Yeah. I think, I, I, you know, that's what some of the work that we do here is we're trying to spread the word, spread the message. We should not be discriminating folks based on body size. Body size is mostly genetic. It's actually not something we can control. But the dieting industry will tell you it can be controlled. And they'll offer you a beautiful product that you can pay for help you control that weight yeah it's it's a bit of a facade it is and we spend so much of our time and energy and money on being thinner Mm -hmm. which I think people go if I'm thinner I'll be happier and I know personally I did that and I wasn't happier I was like completely like focused on own like you couldn't focus on anything else I'm like what quality of life do I have exactly all I'm doing is focused on this one thing and it's but it's it's so ingrained it's so ingrained in our head and I think one of the things as a parent I have a I have a teenage daughter one of the things that I said from the very day from day one was that I was never going to judge my body in front of her And I was never going to judge that. And I am happy to say as hard as that's been, because I judge every day in my head, right? Um, That my daughter has this amazing, healthy body image and is focused on eating foods that make her feel good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know how that happened, but it's so amazing to see. Um, And I think I, I attribute a lot of that of being so very, very intentional on how I talk about food and weight in front of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. It yeah. is pretty cool. And it can be done. It's hard, but it can be done. It can be. It can be. This is this has been so wonderful. Um, I appreciate it so much. How can people find you? Because I know, I know there are so many people that are just in this state where their kids have such poor body images and they're really, they're really worried. How, how can they work with you? Yeah. So, um, you can link to our website. So our business name is change creates change. Terribly long name. We really should have thought that one through at the beginning, (laughs) but we're stuck with it now. So change creates change.com is our website. That's the easiest way to get linked in. Um, and you can book a free call with me. So it is still to the point where I spend, half of my week talking to new parents or new to us parents of this is what I'm dealing with what do I do how can we go and so that's a free consultation call right to get everybody started um to make sure that we are the right fit for folks and if we're not and sometimes we're not we will absolutely work with you to get you to the place where you need to be 
So sometimes that's not us, but we do a lot of system navigation to mm-hmm. make sure that folks are connected with who they need to be connected to. That's wonderful. That's so great. Yeah. So any parting words of encouragement for parents with teenagers? I think the big piece is that perfectionism or perfection is not a thing. And so if you can make one degree of a change, so if you think of a boat, and I live on the ocean, so I always think of boats. If you can make one degree of a change, you can completely shift their whole trajectory. Yeah. And so you can absolutely change the direction in which they're going with one degree of a shift. Mm. And that one degree of a shift can literally just be heading to your fridge, clearing out the diet products and saying, hey. We're doing full fat yogurt from now on. We're doing full fat sour cream and just leave it there. See how that resonates. See what happens. Sometimes it's only one degree that needs to happen to get a significant shift down the road. So start with one degree. It can sound like a lot. We just want that one degree shift. I love that. And it is that one little degree sends you completely in a different direction. That's amazing. Different. Yeah. So helpful. Thank you, Jillian. I'm so grateful you could join us today. Yes. Thank you for having me. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. If you want to learn more about how to help your teens thrive, you can grab my top 10 secrets for raising teens at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode and all the helpful strategies Jillian shared with us, please take a quick moment to rate and review. This helps other parents like you find this show. I encourage you to share it with a friend as well. Until next time, have a peaceful, positive, calm day. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.ask drcam.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.